pong beforehand, and, or like, you know, I know, if we just would have like sang it or something like that, man, it would have been great. Oh, we did. That's right. How great. How wonderful. No, praise the Lord for that. And, and certainly, as we said, we're, we're here on this new day. And Matthew chapter 3, like, you know, some of you might think I planned this, but I didn't plan this. It really just kind of works out based on scheduling. But this is about baptism, if you will, which is about newness of life. And as we celebrate a, a new year, there, well, fortunately, unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, there's a lot of hopes that are built and put into a calendar year that this is the year that things are going to be different. This is, this is that year. Somehow or another, this is that year. And, and so while certainly I, I, there is always excitement, right? And excitement certainly can lead to joy, but be careful what we put that in apart from our Lord, because our Lord doesn't let us down, but everything else does and will. And it's just a matter of time. And so much like the, the psalmist ex exclaimed, you know, praise the Lord for teaching us to number our days so that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. And so newness of life, baptism, applying wisdom, a brand new year, just fits really well together. And so, it is the gospel, by far. And if there's anything that you need to remember this year, because maybe you forgot it last year, which I hope not, but it's the gospel. It's about our Lord. It's the reason why we're here. And the deep, deep love that we experience is the reason why the world exists, period. It's all because of his love. And so... Let's praise the Lord. So, dear Heavenly Father, certainly today, Lord, as we approach your word, thank you for giving us the opportunity on the first of the year to worship you and to start this year off right. And I know certainly, Lord, that you will tune our hearts and our minds to your will and your purposes. And as we approach your word, certainly may it be filled with righteousness and peace and joy as your kingdom. And certainly may we be uh, lifted up in this moment and we may be encouraged for what the rest of today brings, let alone what the rest of our lives may bring for your glory, Lord Jesus, and ultimately our good. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right. So Matthew chapter three, verse one through 17. It's the whole chapter. And so, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel hair and a leather belt round his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. 
Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Amen. It's the word of the Lord. And so, in continuation, we started this before Christmas, then we had a special little Christmas sermon, and now we're, we're picking this back up when we're going to get through chapter 4 before we begin the Sermon on the Mount, and then we're going to change gears a little bit again. But the whole overarching point of this, and, and especially in this third chapter really highlights, is that the only universal hope for salvation for all people is indeed that Lord Jesus, or our Lord Jesus. And in this, despite you know, the, the, the story of Jesus' birth and his young age, from the end of chapter 2 to the beginning of chapter 3, there's about 25 years that have passed. So there's a lot that's missing in this story, too, about Jesus' childhood, his teenage years, his birth. But all in all, if you remember, the whole point of this entire gospel comes out of chapter 1, verse 21. They shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And that's exactly where this picks up as he starts his ministry. So now that he's beginning his ministry and John the Baptist is paving the way, I should probably tell you too that John the Baptist is in all four of the Gospels. He's mentioned in all four of them. Not every fact about Jesus is mentioned in all four Gospels, but John the Baptist being that forerunner for the Christ, our Lord Jesus, he's prevalent in this. And each one of them have a little different piece to say about John the Baptist, albeit the same, they add a different little nuance to everything in this. But John the Baptist came preaching. And I think that's the most important part of the whole first point here is that John the Baptist came preaching. And so we've talked about this before, you know, because this at times, we, we call this preaching. At other times, it's like, oh, it's a good talk. It's a good whatever. But preaching is so much more because it is the act of proclaiming a theological message. Okay? So when, when someone stands up to speak, that's different than preaching. Or it's a good story. Or it's a good whatever. Because... Preaching deals with theology, but more so, this is probably the important part, and, you know, some of us are good at it, some of us not so good at it. It's the application point of it as well. 
because it's the act of proclaiming a theological message and it involves the conveyance of a truth about God or scripture or another inherent significance to our lives, but it's also for the audience for whom the act is being done in the first place. And so, John the Baptist, being the forerunner for the Christ, what was he preaching about? Well, he's preaching about pretty much exactly what I'm preaching about every week, which is the Lord Jesus, in a sense. Now, John, in this first point, it says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he's talking about, of course, the kingdom of heaven. If you go down to the third point, it talks about who's coming. And more so, who's coming, whose sandals I am not worthy to, to tie. And that's the truth of what hopefully all pastors would say. Because sometimes we make Jesus a little more of a friend than our Lord, in a sense, who is worthy of dignity and respect, who is worthy of our worship. Oh, the depth and the riches of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him to be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. If you were here last Saturday, you remember that was the whole sermon. Those verses, Romans 11, 33 to 36. And no, I don't have them written down. They're written here because they're that important, because they're about the Lord, the one whom I serve, whom we serve in our lives, the one who has given us more blessings than we even know what to do with, but we don't even understand all of those blessings. So preaching, very important to understand that it is about certainly application for our lives but it's conveying theological truths. So, the kingdom of heaven is in hand, which also means the king is coming. And that's why John the Baptist was so important and so important in all the Gospels, because he's preaching the good news. Because the good news is translated gospel, and the gospel is entirely about the Lord Jesus. There's no gospel of Eric. I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I'm telling you, there's no gospel of error. And praise the Lord for that, because it's the gospel of Jesus. Because he has done way more than any of us could ever do in our lives. And so, we see this. In the day, John the Baptist came preaching. And he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we're going to get to repentance in the second point a little bit. But, for this is who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Remember, Matthew, again, is also trying to show us the history, as well as tying together the Old Testament and the New Testament, showing that Jesus is that promised Messiah of the Old Testament, and he's the revealed Son of God now in the New Testament. And Matthew does a great job of that for all of us. And so, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And then we get to verse 4, which almost feels a little bit out of place, Right Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. What do I do with that? <laughs> do I go, he's kind of crazy. Right? Eating locusts, wild honey. Very normal for that, that day and age, especially for someone who had 
you know, a calling from God and who went out into the wilderness to spend time to commune with the Lord in and of itself. I think there's there's much more of a point here, especially in John the Baptist and especially for our kind of application when this goes about preaching the good news is that even looking around this room, I think it's best not to judge a book by its cover. And John, despite looking awkward, despite eating awkward things, was sincere. And so how did those people ultimately identify that John the Baptist was sincere? you got a dude eating wild locusts. He's eating honey. He's dressing in camel hair. He, he's, he's telling people to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then when you go to that second point, too, as he's talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you see he's got a little bit of a sharp tongue, too. He's pretty convicted on what's going on. And he, he, he's not sugarcoating anything for anyone. I can appreciate that because I want the truth. Most people don't. They want a sugarcoated way of truth that fits their needs that makes sense to them. But John was having none of that. He just laid down the law. He's like, this is how it is. Deal with it. And that, realistically, too, as an application for us, is how the word of the Lord ought to be presented to us in some way or another. It doesn't do us any good to sugarcoat things or to bend God's will or to bend God's truth, but to learn to accept it for what it is and to deal with it, and to grapple it. We've all been led astray, each to our own way. The Bible even says that too. It's because the world around us teaches us how to live our lives, and we accept it that way. But the word of the Lord also teaches us how to live our lives. And so those people that were coming, you think about this again, because there were 400 years between Malachi ends and the Gospel of Matthew begins. 400 years of not experiencing the deep, deep love. Well, of God, not, not Jesus. But 400 years of, does he care anymore? 400 years of, is he with us? Is he not with us? And then you have this guy, John the Baptist, dressing in camel hair, eating locusts, honey, going out into the river, baptizing people, which is not a Jewish tradition, Baptism is completely a new covenant, and yet they do it. And it makes you wonder, why do they do it? Did John the Baptist say something really intelligent, or did God reveal himself to these people? My answer is the latter, especially as you continue, and especially as you see the Holy Spirit come down on Jesus like a dove. The Holy Spirit is what I believe has led these people to be like John the Baptist is telling the truth. Because by any standards, if some crazy guy walked in the back in camel hair and whatnot, we would be like, why are you here? <laughs> are you really here to worship Jesus or are you here to cause trouble? And then when he starts telling us to repent because the kingdom of heaven is in hand, it's like, wait, who are you to tell us to repent? But that's the beauty of the Holy Spirit. It's the beauty of the Holy Spirit that when we're saved, it reveals to us that Jesus is indeed the way, Jesus is indeed the truth, and Jesus is indeed the way to life. And it's that blessing that we experience. 
but it's that preaching of the good news that God uses to work within his people. And that is always the beginning of the gospel. Take our name, for example. Hearing the gospel brings new life through the Bible, growing his church. It all starts with hearing the gospel. People say, oh, I've heard of Jesus, or I know of Jesus. But the sad reality is you don't know Jesus. Just because you've heard of or know of does not mean that you know him specifically. And it's within that power of the Holy Spirit. And so what did they do? And this is the most telling fact of it all. They confessed. And that says they confessed their sins. Now, it doesn't say what specifically their sins were, and honestly, it's irrelevant. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. Confession means, the Greek word is homologia, same speak. means agreeing with God. So in such confession that we experience there, one agrees or acknowledges that he or she has broken God's law. How do you even know that you've broken God's law without knowing God? See where we're getting here. Then, that there's a penalty that's justly deserved for breaking God's law. Well, how do you know that? How do you know that to be the case in the way as well? And then, that in some specific way, God's standard of holiness has not been met. So, you agree or acknowledge that you've broken God's law. You agree that there's a penalty and that you're guilty and it's justly deserved and that you agree that God's standard of holiness has not been met. Now, if I was to go down the street and tell people this, what kind of response do you think I'd get? I'm nuts. I'm crazy, right? Like, oh yeah, I broke God's law. Woo! Whatever. Nobody cares. Ecclesiastes says this, that because the judgment against man is slow to act, man's heart is fully set to do evil. And I believe that as well, especially in the case of this and preaching the good news and hearing that. Just because I tell people, oh, you're breaking God's law. There's a just punishment waiting for you. And then you're not meeting God's standard of holiness. Like people don't need that. <laughs> People don't need it, they don't want it, but here's the reality. If someone's going to become saved, they need to hear those truths in their lives. And the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts them of those truths. I remember very succinctly feeling terrible about myself and crying about things that I don't even remember doing until that moment in time that all of this was kind of going on in my life as Jesus was pursuing me. And I felt bad. I felt really bad. That's the contrition that they speak about, which is a sorrowful heart when we talk about repentance. So it all starts, though, with preaching the good news, but be careful with it because the Holy Spirit and make sure that we're used well in that moment, that we're not judge, jury, and executioner for other people because... People are their own best judge, jury, and executioner. Or they are their best uh, justifier, if you will. They can justify anything. Sure, 
it's okay that I stole $500 from that old lady because I needed that money more than that old lady. So they justify it in their heads. Tons of that's going on all the time. And so it starts with preaching the good news. And while not specifically mentioned, it has a lot to do with the conviction of the Holy Spirit because there's no way you're going to agree with God that you're a sinner unless you've been convicted that you're a sinner. Which brings us to point two. God is able. And this ties a lot to the faith this morning and what we talked about. Do you believe that God is able to do what he said he's going to do? Do you believe that God is going to keep the promises that are written in Scripture? Do you believe that God loves you? Do you believe that God has your best intentions in life? Do you believe that you are called and adopted to be a son and daughter of the Lord Most High? Do you believe that he is the creator of heaven and earth and everything that's in it? And do you believe how long I can go on telling you, do you believe? Because we could do this till the proverbial cows come home, if you will. Because do you believe? Has God revealed himself in such a way? Now, What's fascinating about this and, and this whole part, God is able. Certainly, I wrote deity next to this as well, because this is all spiritual, if you will. But I do want to touch briefly on verse 7 and verse 8, because that, unfortunately, is where a lot of anti-Semitism comes from. And I only want to bring this up in the fact that there is absolutely no reason for any of us to be anti-Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. Like God's, the entire Old Testament is about Israel, God's chosen nation. You don't hear about Assyria. You don't hear much about Babylon. You don't hear much about all these other superpowers because they weren't God's chosen people. You hear about how they intervened in the lives of Israel and God's chosen people. But again, Israel is God's chosen people. And yes, while the new covenant makes the church multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi, as diverse as the day is long. People from every nation, he talks about it in Isaiah, that there will be a remnant from every nation, if you will, in heaven, which means that out of every ethnicity that has ever existed, there will be a remnant of people. God creating a people for his own possession, right? All things we've heard before throughout scripture as we've talked about it, but again, no room for anti-Semitism. That whole thing that's busting up in society, like that's nuts to me. I don't understand it. I don't see why it's there. And again, that's not where we're at. Now verse 9, do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from his stones to raise up children for Abraham. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees, and every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Very briefly on this as well. Certainly, we all have our chips on our shoulders. And Israel, as a nation, had a chip on their shoulder that they were Abraham's children, in a sense. Therefore, God was always going to be for them regardless of how they treated their Lord and Savior. They were wrong. And that's fairly common, I suppose, if you will, especially you know from our normal standards of life. But 
with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they weren't in it for God. They were in it for power. And you still see this very much today, that there are a sect and a group of people who are in this for power and manipulation of other people and for other people. And so having Abraham as your father does not guarantee salvation. Knowing the Lord Jesus, having a right and a real relationship with him is the way to salvation, not just because Abraham's father or Abraham was your father back in the day, or because you were Jewish. I mean, again, read the Old Testament. Those poor Israelites, man, like constantly, like they're just sticking their finger in their light socket repeatedly. We want to be like other people, but we want to be holy. But we want to be like other people, but we want to be holy. But we want to be, and it just kept going and kept going. And God's intervention, again, continually going, continually bringing them back to him. And that's what he does with us. Too, just the same. So we're not that far removed, but at the same time, there's nothing. There's no chip on our shoulders. And that's what John's ultimately talking about is humility. There needs to be a sense of humility. In some other churches too, there isn't that sense of humility. There's that sense of God works for me. And that's that's the wrong, like you're, you're looking way too low in this moment. And in those moments where, you know, it's big me and it's little God, it's in those moments that things definitely go awry and astray and can burn us very well. And so there's nothing that I did to earn my salvation. And I know there's nothing that you did to earn your salvation. It wasn't because you prayed harder or better than someone else. It wasn't because you gave more money than someone else. It wasn't because you did more acts of service than someone else. Now, I certainly don't breed lawlessness, but it's certainly not legalism that saves us either. The only thing, again, that saves us is God's love, the Lord Jesus and what he's done. And then God the Father being pleased to reveal the Son to you. And God the Father does that through the blessing of the Holy Spirit, which is the promise and the seal of our guarantee of salvation. For God is able. I hope you continue to see that, that God's able. And then John says in verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So repentance. Repentance literally means a change of mind. Not a change of an individual plan. Not a change of your intentions. Not even a change of your beliefs. I'm working on dangerous territory here. But it's a change of the whole personality. From a sinful course of action to a righteous course of action. That's where repentance is, to turn from your ways and to follow God. And when we talk about repentance or we talk about confession, we talk about contrition and we talk about conversion. And so conversion has a lot to do with repentance. And this is what's really interesting about repentance in this, especially in conversion, is that repentance is such an important aspect of conversion that it is often stressed 
more than saving faith. And even Christ said that there is joy in heaven among the angels over one sinner who has saving faith or who repents. It's the latter, who repents. Repentance is important. It's the, if anything, act that a human being does, but that act that the human being does is blessed by God in the first place and the blessing of the Holy Spirit. So the apostles described the conversion of the Gentiles to Christ as God granting them repentance unto life. Not saving faith unto life, but repentance unto life. And that's in Acts chapter 11, verse 18. So repentance and faith in Christ are in fact inseparable though a convert may be aware of one aspect more than another. And I took a lot of that from the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible. Repentance. It's important. Give you water for repentance. And that's exactly what it is, these people turning. And again, after 400 years, you see people coming to this crazy guy John in the River Jordan to be baptized, which from a theological standpoint of being Jewish, makes no sense because it was not a Jewish tradition to be baptized. This is all new covenant type of stuff, and yet they continue to follow. And so it's within that and the gospel there that we see God is able. And hopefully in all of this you see God's able. And especially what he said, God is able to create whoever, you know, sons of Abraham he wants to create to be his sons of Abraham. Don't limit God, because God is able. And God made Jesus our fulfillment. Third and last point, and I added the humanity on this, because this now greatly involves you and I, because we're human beings created in the image of God, worthy of dignity and respect, despite willingly pretty much taking it away from ourselves on many different occasions. So, then you have this Jesus guy coming from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have stopped him saying, whoa, you're the Lord, you're the Savior, and yet you want me to baptize you with water. Why? But Jesus says the answer of answers that we need to know is that let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. If we go forward two more chapters into the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, uh, I want to say it's verse 19 and 20. Jesus says, Do not think I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. To fulfill them. So, God has always had this plan that human beings are to live this life in a certain way. Glory to God, good for human beings. That's why there's 613 different laws for the nation of Israel to show that they are holy and that they are set apart and that they're very different from the rest of the world. And so Jesus comes, though, and he's like, yeah, you know, we don't really need this. And John the Baptist knows he doesn't really need this. He's the Lord. The Lord doesn't need anything from John. The Lord doesn't need John, period. The Lord doesn't need you. The Lord doesn't need me. Lord doesn't need, he provides, and he continues to provide. And he made Jesus, his son, that provision, 
that fulfillment for us. And so let it be so now to fulfill all righteousness. And so Jesus came to do what Israel couldn't do. Jesus came to do what you and I can't do, which is lead a perfect sinless life. And in fact, in that Sermon on the Mount that I'm quoting, sin is so bad that it's not even if I do it with my hands, if I just think about it, I've condemned myself. If there's hate in my heart for another human being, I'm sinning, and now I've condemned myself. <sighs> That's frustrating. <laughs> even now, frustrating. That's sinning. I should be filled with joy, right? No, it doesn't always work like that, especially for us human beings. But Jesus fulfilled all manners of righteousness, and this was one of those manners of righteousness. And as well as fulfilling this manner of righteousness, when he immediately went up from the water, behold, first, the heavens were opened to him. Second, he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And then third, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. It's probably one of my favorite parts in Scripture. Probably because also in 2 Peter chapter 1, at the end of that chapter, Peter's like, We didn't come up with cleverly despised myths and things. When the voice from heaven came, we were there, man. We heard that voice from heaven. John the Baptist, this is why John the Baptist knows Jesus is the Messiah. This is why those disciples know in that moment as well why Jesus is, again, who he says he is. Yes, they have that promise of the Holy Spirit and the blessing, hasn't fully realized yet, not until Jesus goes away, but ultimately everyone around can see this isn't normal. <laughs> this isn't how this usually works. John the Baptist just baptized how many different people? And tell me, did the heavens open up for any of them? Did, did the Holy Spirit come down like a dove for any of them? Was there a voice born that said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased? Now, this is why Jesus is that full fulfillment. And he continues to impress. But you reap these blessings. And you're like, what blessings? <laughs> First, most important blessing, the heavens were opened up to Jesus. Tell me something. Do you believe that the heavens are opened up to you? You better be nodding, yes. Let me tell you, you're going to get a knuckle sandwich. No, you honestly, the heavens were opened up to Jesus. Do you believe that the heavens were opened up to you? Let me put it this way. You were reconciled to the Father because of Jesus, who's our great mediator, because we sang awesome songs that helped reflect that this morning. Thank you, Kim. And because Jesus is our amazing mediator, we are reconciled, which means restored to a right and a real relationship with our Creator. So let me ask you again, knowing full well the answer and that you're all going to shake your heads yes, profusely, do you know that the heavens are opened up to you? I, I really thought I'd hear the wind. <laughs> like, like with all the head bobbing, I really thought I'd hear the wind. Okay, totally cool, totally fine. I'll count that as strike one. <laughs> strike two, I mean point two. 
Point two, hopefully not strike two. The Holy Spirit came to rest on him. Do you believe that the Holy Spirit dwells within you? Oh, this is getting better. I like this. Thank you. Thank you. This is important. This is the good news of the gospel. Look what Jesus did, and look how you doing nothing has reaped amazing benefits. Praise the Lord. Amen? Sanctification. That's what we call this. When the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, who is that promise and that seal and that guarantee of our salvation dwells within us, we have that Holy Spirit within us as well. So we've been reconciled. We've been sanctified. And this, this, come on, do you believe this? A voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son or daughter with whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved son or daughter with whom I am well pleased. I'm going to call that adoption. And that is another beautiful facet of the gospel. I am now part of God's family. I was adopted from my devilish, hell-bound ways and brought into the kingdom of God. I am an adopted son. You are adopted sons and daughters. Do you believe this? Excellent. Amen. One strike and two home runs. I'll take it. <laughs> all right. They're all home runs because this is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus. And you see this so prevalently in Matthew chapter 3 and all of this. God is able and it's about preaching. And who are we preaching about and why are we preaching in the first place? There's an application for life. It's your life. Today can be the first day of the rest of your life. If you want it to be, all you got to do is say that. But that's silly because you've lived yesterday and you're going to live tomorrow and all these other years. So don't look at it as this brand new type of opportunity. Stand firm and stand strong knowing that the gospel of our Lord Jesus has saved you. He has reconciled us to the Father. He is sanctifying us by the Holy Spirit, and we are adopted sons and daughters of the Lord Most High. Do you believe these things? Because this is based on trust. This is based on faith. All of this was taken on faith because none of us were there at that time. It would have been really cool to see Jesus baptized in the River Jordan, to see the Holy Spirit come down on him. But I wasn't there, and that's okay, but I believe it, and I absolutely believe that it happened because of the Holy Spirit convicting me that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. So this is why, again, the gospel and all of this is such good news, because it's preached, it's told to people, it's brought through conviction because God is able God is able to do things that we don't understand, and that's awesome. And I'm totally happy about that, and I'm totally acceptable of God being able to do things that I don't necessarily understand. I'm okay with that. And then lastly, of course, because he made Jesus our fulfillment. 
so that we can be reconciled to that. So praise the Lord for all of these things, and especially for bringing us here on this New Year's Day, that maybe, just maybe, we can all be like, oh, I'm going to check that box. I started off the New Year well. I started it off with the Lord. I don't know. It's not going to get you very far, because you're with the Lord every day. So do you see why I'm like, oh, well, I did this really amazing thing. Eh, you're doing it all the time anyway. It's totally cool. <laughs> right? Right? So praise the Lord that he's called us to this calling and that, yes, it's a new year. But, yes, our hope is in God. Our joy is in the Lord. Our peace comes from God. The, the wholeness of person that we are, the shalom. And then hope, love, joy, peace. All of this, all of this comes from the Lord. So, dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for all that you are and all that you continue to do within each of us and within us corporately as your church. So, Lord Jesus, we just give you all the praise and all the thanksgiving. And thank you that you used people in our lives to actually preach the good news to us. Not the good news that we're sinners, but good news that there is a way of healing and that there is a way of living true life with you, Lord Jesus. And so, Lord, we know that you're able, we know that you are fully God, fully deity, and that nothing is outside of your control or your grasp or your power. And Lord, we thank you for that because you are able. And thank you for revealing yourself to us in such ways that we stand here confidently assured that you are who you say you are and that, again, our life is securely wrapped within your glory because we know it's ultimately for our good. And so, Lord Jesus, you fulfilled everything. You did it all for us on all aspects. And I just thank you. And there's no, no words that can do justice. There's no life. There's no calling that I feel that can do enough justice to this. But Lord Jesus, certainly uh, take my life and let it be consecrated all through thee in all of these aspects of ministry and wherever our hands and feet, you know, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, may we do it all to your glory, Lord Jesus, in praise and thanksgiving for what you've done and for the lives that you've healed and saved and continue to sanctify and improve. We love you and certainly cannot thank you enough for the many blessings we experience. It's in your name we pray. Amen.